According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12. Moving on this morning to some new verses. We were looking at verse 8 last week and discussing the aspect of insight and uh, the blessings to be able to praise one another for insight. Uh, Obviously, the ultimate praise comes at the judgment seat of Christ and uh, with hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Looking forward to hearing that. But even prior to that, in time, we should have the the benefits of praise one for another in uh, every capacity as uh, God expands our capacity to appreciate one another and to praise one another in a legitimate application. It's not prideful. It's not carnal. In uh, It is boasting and boasting in the Lord when we do offer the appropriate praise. And so we have the uh, the emphasis there. I want to move on this morning and talk about verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. He who uh, tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense or lacks heart. Literally, the the lave, the lavav in Hebrew is heart. And so we'll deal with that as well. Uh, Taking verses 9, 10, and 11 as a unit, I believe poetically it is a unit. Poetically it has the the, uh, structure that it has, and so we'll We'll handle it as such. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Lord to set aside our distractions and to humble us under His authority. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning thankful for Your truth and utterly 100% dependent, Father, upon Your grace your grace to sustain us, your grace to bring us here. Father, your grace to open the eyes of our understanding and show us uh, what you would have for us to see. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit and his indwelling ministry, his teaching ministry, his uh, eternal faithfulness. We call upon that faithfulness this morning to uh, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in the slideshow then, if I get ahead here to where we are. Oh, those are small. Uh, let's see, we were there. Point six in the outline, a follow-up to the application of thoughts and counsels. If you remember, we stressed the impact on thinking from verse five. There's the thoughts and the counsels and uh, that we dealt with in verse five. And so as a follow-up to that is the praiseworthiness of insight. We then have a third expression for thinking. And this expression here in verse 8 is inside. It's not purely synonymous with thoughts. It's not purely synonymous with counsels. They all are centered in cognitive capacity. That is what we do with our intellect, what we do with our mentality, the mentality facet of soul. Um, But the the, uh, emphasis in verse 8 as it applies to insight, while we are thinking, it is a creative thinking. It is an imaginative thinking. It is uh, the... uh, the emphasis that comes in the Sekel family. If you think of Jay Seculo, you can think of somebody with insight, and, and you'll have this aspect here. And so in the Hebrew, Sekel and Sakel, and even a, a, a maskeel is a particular type of psalm. It is a reflective psalm. It is a thoughtful psalm. It is an insightful psalm, if you will. And, and English translations don't always know what to do with it. Sometimes they put little footnotes in there and say, well, possibly it is a contemplative psalm. Uh, definitely it's one that requires thought, and I think that uh, connects very well with the verb sakal or the noun sekel, that it does speak of insight. And it speaks of those moments where we have this creative flash of brilliance, if you will, this, this idea whereby you have a thought, you have another thought, and you put them together. And all of a sudden, wow, wait a minute, there's a connection between these things, right? You, you know, you you got your peanut butter in my chocolate and, and, or my chocolate in your peanut butter or whatever it may be. And now we're combining these two things, right? 
Remember those old commercials from the 1970s or whatever when they first introduced the Reese's peanut butter cups, right? And, and, and what, a, what a brilliant flash of insight that was to combine those things. And, and that's what the Scripture speaks of when it speaks about our capacity to think, to think independently, to think creatively. I believe it's one of the great privileges we have in the, in the image of God, that in the capacity that He's provided us to do that. <coughs> so uh, 16 times that the noun is used and uh, the verse is there. Uh, 60 times that the verb is used and the uh, use is there. Remarkably enough, the verb itself, while it has insight as its, as its etymology or as, its, as uh, the backdrop, more often than not, when the verb is used, the translation comes into English with an with a, uh, application of success. And, and the, the Hebrews would make an equivalency between insight and success. If you're going to be successful in anything, successful in battle or successful, as David was, very successful in battle against the Philistines or other measures of success, measures of success in the Hebrew mind is a reflection of the insight you had while engaged in uh, that particular activity. All right, and so it, etymologically, it may not come to us in, in, as English speakers or thinkers, uh, or in our just our worldview and way of thought, we wouldn't think of success uh, as as linked to insight the way uh, the way the Hebrews do. And uh, I, I thought that was interesting as well. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to have success, whether it was due to insight or just dumb luck. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take success by any means related to that. But um, not so in the Hebrew mind, that uh, it comes from the insight that God provides as a student of the Word of God, uh, growing in the wisdom of His Word, uh, comes that insight. And, and it may be on a purely secular basis that you go into battle, you have a military uh, success on the basis of the insight God provides. And uh, anyway, come to appreciate that as well. We're not going to go through all the Psalms. Uh, there is, there's a list of them there. And if you want to make a study of those uh, mascules, uh, it's uh, uh, worthwhile. Uh, I showed you also last week the tool that's available in Logos Bible Software where you can use the what's called the Psalms Explorer. And some of you already found there's also a Proverbs Explorer and there's some other tools that are th- th- available uh, and part of the interactive media that they have that I find useful to uh, studying the Psalms in, in that regard. But Anyway, let's uh, get past that then and move on to point seven and talk about domestic tranquility, <laughs> okay? I love domestic tranquility. That's part of our constitution, is it not? To uh, The preamble to the constitution that uh, to provide for our domestic tranquility in uh, the reason why the founding fathers drafted the constitution the way that they did. But in many respects, of course, it's a biblical principle because that's this is what we're supposed to be praying for. For I, we're told in First Timothy to pray for kings and all her in authority. Why? So that we may live in a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That is the objective in our political prayers. Why do we pray for our president and our governor and our mayor and and uh, and all the uh, authorities that are over us, so we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is uh, our ambition. We should be ambitious to be quiet, <laughs> okay? And I'll show you some of these passages as well. And this is uh, very much in keeping with Proverbs. So uh, domestic tranquility is presented as the ideal with uh, applications in three scopes. Applications toward mankind, I believe that's verse 9. Applications toward animal kind, I believe that's verse 10. And then application... Um, towards the land itself, or you could say uh, in, in your farming endeavors, okay, with your food production. Uh, so applications, mankind, animal kind, and uh, what do you want to call this? Land kind or something, <laughs> okay? Verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. So let's take a look at it. And, and what we mean by domestic tranquility does not mean no problems. We could have all kinds of problems, but we still are at rest. We're still at peace with the Lord and we have the, the stability through the Word of God no matter what secular turmoil might, uh, might happen here. All right, so verse 9, 10, and 11. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. 
And this is a verse that we'll talk about here shortly, but it centers on your reputation in the community and it centers on your social status, where you are in the, in the pecking order of your culture, all right? If you're in the upper class or the middle class or the lower class or you have no class or whatever the case may be, but how it is and how hard you work to maintain that reputation or not. And uh, some people that devote themselves entirely to... Um, social standing and public opinion and keeping up with the Joneses and everything else to the point that they bankrupt themselves in in that endeavor. So uh, verse 9 is directed towards people. Verse 10, a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. And uh, we'll have to discuss animals and I'll get in all kinds of trouble in discussing this uh, because I prefer to be biblical in uh, in that. And I'm not hostile to pets, okay? Uh, you know, do what you want to do. You're, you have liberty in Christ to do all kinds of things. And, and if you have to have a pet, cats are better than dogs. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but Sharon's allergic to both cats and dogs, so I, I don't have either, you know, related to that. However, we will give, and, and I, won't, I won't outline for you, I want to someday, give a full, comprehensive, categorical, outline doctrine of pets, Okay? Uh, you can't do it though because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> and so we'll discuss uh, the relationship there. But So what is this about? His animal. Because there's ownership involved here with his animal. And why does God provide animals? And what do we use animals for? I mean animals are very tasty. But the animals that we're not eating, the animals, you know, how much compassion do you show? It does say uh, a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. So what does that mean to regard something? And then in the parallel poetry here, um, even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And so we have a parallelism between regard and compassion, and we want to understand both. We want to have regard and we want to have compassion for our animal. That's the, that's the, that's the imperative there of the text. And, and if, we're, if we don't, then we're not exhibiting the righteousness of God. See, if we don't, then we are on the other side of the poetry here. We're wicked. We are absent the righteousness of God. We are walking in the paths of wickedness. And that is a cruelty. And uh, ultimately speaking, this is the Bible's definition of cruelty to animals. Okay, Not uh, what PETA would promote or you know, other goofy stuff that we have in, uh, in our day and age. So um, we'll make sure we're in fellowship and relaxed and I don't offend anyone and, and whatever. You know, Fifi, I'm sure, is a sweet, sweet little mutt, whatever the case may be. But Fifi doesn't like me, so I don't like Fifi. And any, any dog on the planet uh, hates me. And, and that's true universally. All right. Cats, though, are all right. Uh, so animal went, uh, towards the animals, we'll deal with that. And then uh, verse 11 he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. Now, if you're not a farmer, and I, I admit I am not a farmer, and in fact I'm not anything as far as growing anything. Uh, but if you don't grow anything, um, we'll have to find the parallel in our modern world, uh, what, what uh, the principle is for application. See? And uh, the concept of working and why do we work and what is the responsibility of man to image God and to work uh, as an imager of God, even under the curse, even with conflict in the process, even with the uh, curse of the earth and all the other conflict that sin uh, generates in this fallen world. We're still expected to work and uh, just that our work has become toil in the uh, application of sin in uh, in the things there. So, all right, this is what we're going to deal with here in verses 9, 10, and 11. First of all, though, I want to introduce a concept to you because this is the first time we've encountered it in the book of Proverbs, but it happens 19 times altogether. Proverbs 12, 9, uh, 12, 9 is the first out of 19 better than constructions in the book of Proverbs. Better than proverbial contrasts. And so this introduces a new form of logic, a new form of poetry, 
a new form uh, uh, structure uh, that is, is fairly common. I mean, 19 uses, but we haven't gone to any of them yet until our first one here, all right? None of them appear in the parental wisdom portion uh, of chapters 1 through 9. And clearly now, I mean, we're already in the third chapter of the personal and public wisdom portion of this book, and we finally get to the first of these contrasts. Uh, the bulk of them do come in uh, twelve through chapters twelve through twenty four but there are some in chapters twenty five and following so in the in the chapters that Hezekiah and his men added uh, chapter twenty five twenty seven and twenty eight um, you know there's there 's five out of the nineteen that appear there fourteen out of the nineteen that appear in chapters twelve through twenty four all right does that make sense so uh, starting here in chapter twelve. Uh, we have the better than contrast, okay? And so what we've seen so far, we've seen synthetic parallelism, we've seen synonymous parallelism, we've seen antithetical parallelism, we've grown kind of into the habit of looking for uh, buts, okay? We're looking for A statements with a but and then a B statement that follows, okay? Uh, Or we're looking for an A statement with an and and a a B statement that follows if it's a synthetic or or synonymous parallelism. Um, But here, rather than a but, we have a than. We have a better than. So better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than... Okay, And so we have the first half which is viewed as superior to the second half. Now, does that automatically mean that the second half is absolutely wrong? Okay, In itself, not necessarily, but from case to case you want to evaluate and see. Is it absolutely wrong to honor yourself and lack bread? Well, it's a dumb thing to do and it's, it's really not the, the way you want to live and certainly wisdom didn't take you there. Okay, so um, you could make a statement that it's absolutely wrong in all circumstances, but I think you would want to have other scriptures to go with it in order to to take a better than contrast and absolutely be condemning towards the than. We'll see if this bears out though in the other examples. Uh, let's look at chapter fifteen. Chapter fifteen. Let's just see a handful more of these and notice whether or not we have absolute statements that we can draw. Can we draw an inference on an absolute basis from the structure of these Proverbs? So Proverbs 15, 6. Um, Great or greater. And this is a greater than. Sometimes the English doesn't translate it like that. This actually puts a but in there. Hmm. Greater wealth is in the house of the righteous than or but trouble in the in, is the income of the wicked. Okay, so there's a, there's a contrast, and uh, you could think of it as an antithetical parallelism. You could think of it as a a but b. Better though to think of it as a greater than statement in a contrast there. All right, uh, verse seventeen of the same chapter. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred, and that's a tough verse for me because I, I I like meat, you know, um, I absolutely like meat, but if uh, if it has to come with hatred, well, hmm, okay, then I suppose, I suppose then. I'll take the, the the vegetarian plate, okay, if I have to, right? By the way, what does that tell you? All other things being equal? Take the hate out of the equation, take the love-hate thing off the table and just look at the verse right there. What, do you, what are you looking at? What's, what's the preferable? Okay? But this is saying, all right, because of the love-hate thing, well then, vegetables is better than meat. Okay? Anyway, that's a, just a thought. Um, and there are folks that, that are convinced that their vegetarianism is biblical and it's ideal and it's right and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I don't, again, you've got liberty in Christ, do what you want to do. Okay? You know, be a, be a vegetarian with 28 dogs in the house. Knock yourself out. But, okay, <laughs> you're not going to be rewarded for it in the judgment seat of Christ. All is lawful, not all is profitable. 
All is lawful, not all edifies. And the things that you can do in your liberty in Christ don't necessarily glorify Christ in the biblical uh, applications. So, um, be that as it may. All right. There's a better than. Verse 19, the way of the lazy is as is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. That's a better than contrast. Verse 32, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. It's a better than contrast. And a lot of these are coming across with um, with a but language of, of uh, antithetical parallelism. And Really, I think that's unfortunate. Chapter 17 and verse... Uh, oh no, chapter... Am I reading the right ones? I'm not reading the right ones, am I? 15, 6, 15, 17. Okay, 16, 8. Okay, yeah, that, that was not the correct one in 15.32. Let me go to 16. 16 and verse 8, better than... Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. And this is why we want to be cautious and not take these better than statements as absolutes. You can't point to the second part of that verse and say, well, great income is always wrong. No, there's nothing at all wrong with great income. If God's provided it, great. Pray hard, okay, that you got the capacity to deal with that because the prosperity test is a tough test. The, the key issue there, though, great income with injustice. The fact that you, uh, you know, lie, lied, cheated, and stole in order to make that great income, or that you were, you obtained the, the, the wealth through wickedness or, or something of that sort. Then clearly, the better than contrast, if, uh, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, uh, your boss wants you to, to cook the books and cheat a little bit, you've got to say, well, wait a minute. I would rather, I don't want to do that. You know, and if I suffer financially, I suffer financially, but I'd rather have a, a lower income and, and be honest before the Lord than uh, to have greater income and, and, and do it wrong, do it unethically or illegally or some other thing. And that's the, that's the principle that's applied with the better than but you don't take it as an absolute statement and say, well, it's wrong in all circumstances. No, we can't do that. That's that 16.8. 16.16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. So priorities, scale, proportion, better than, absolutely. But we're not going to say that gold is wrong all the time or silver is wrong all the time or money is bad, don't ever get any kind of money. It doesn't say that. But it says that this is better than that and so we prioritize and, and we realize that, that this is the priority. And so believers have to make the application, right? And you decide, you know, you make choices. Okay? I know a man that I don't want to make, I don't want to embarrass him, but so I won't tell you who he is. But there is a, a, a man in this church who turned down a, a promotion because it would have meant moving to a town that didn't have doctrinal teaching, didn't have a local church. And his priority was to make sure his family is under teaching and said, no, I'm going to stay in the position where I am right here, right now. And he kept that same employment, same job. And, and because Austin Bible Church is where he's been assigned, that this is, and, and see, not everyone would make that choice. Not everyone would have that conviction. Some come to other convictions and they say, well, I'm going to go make this extra money and that's the priority and I'll just kind of make do with whatever kind of church I can find. There's got to be something there, you know, Baptist or something. We've got to find some kind of, we'll make do with some kind of church somewhere. Okay, you see the difference? As opposed to, no, this is where I belong and if something has to make do, it's going to be the job. It's going to be the employment. It's going to be the house I live in or, or something of that nature. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All right? And then if, when, when push comes to shove, what gets pushed and what gets shoved? Okay? And uh, I think this passage puts, uh, puts these things in perspective. Wisdom is preferable to gold. Understanding is preferable to silver. Your um, intake of Bible doctrine is preferable to 
the uh, the money Satan's throwing at you to get you out of church, to get you out from under doctrinal teaching where you belong. Verse 19, it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Verse 32, uh, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. I wanted to conquer the world by age 30. I didn't, didn't quite make that. But, uh, you know, maybe I can conquer the world by age 50. It's really not really an ongoing goal for me. But when I was a teenager, yeah, I wanted to conquer the world by age 30. That was a, that was a great goal. Well, okay. Chapter 17 and verse 1, Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. 17.12, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. <laughs> okay? Now, I think this one, in absolute terms, I don't ever want to meet a bear robbed of her cubs. Okay? That one's one I'd probably be pretty safe just taking on an absolute basis. Uh, but still, it's better than, better than a fool in his folly. I've got enough of those. Okay, no more of those. Verse 32, there's no, oh no, verse, uh, let's see, 12. Anyway, that, that's enough on those, I think. We got, am I losing my place? Okay, 19.1, there we go. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Notice how a lot of these are related to money and how a lot of these recognize, you know, that being poor is not the worst thing in the world. There's a lot of poor people in the world. And that's not wrong. It's not bad. It's, there's worse things than that. 1922. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. Yeah, these are kind of fun. 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. <laughs> okay? You know? Go sleep in the shed out back or something. You know? If it's, it's just preferable. Why? Well, it preaches itself, actually. The application there. Verse 19. Better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. 22.1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Now, part of this will come into view because of what we're talking about today with respect to the reputation, with respect to uh, one who honors himself or one who is lightly esteemed. That has to do with our public uh, reputation and our social standing. And, uh, and so here's, a, here's the context, a good ma- a name is to be more desired than great wealth. What is attached to your name? What is your reputation of your name? What is the legacy of that name if, as you uh, depart this world? Favor is better than silver and gold. So we'll talk about that as well. Just because it connects to our, our, um, stand, our social standing and our reputation in the community and, and what, what uh, we're thought of in, uh, amongst our, our family and clan and tribe and nation. All right, that, those are the ones from Solomon. Now, these are also Solomon's, but they were not gathered until the days of Hezekiah. They are Solomon in origin. 25.7 For it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. You remember the parable Jesus told. Jesus taught that about, you know, don't take the seat of honor when you're invited as a guest because the owner of the house may say, uh, you know, excuse me, but a, a real important person is here and I want them to sit up close and you can go sit over there at the kitty table or something. Um, and that comes right out of Proverbs. That comes right out of here. That it is better that it be said to you, come up here. That you just assume right off the bat that you are um, the lowest person in the room and then they can move you up in that, uh, in that context. Uh, verse 24, the same chapter. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than a house shared with a repeat from chapter 21. All right? 
chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Wow. Okay? That preaches itself too. Um, nothing wrong with love. Nothing wrong at all with love. Are you kidding me? Love's great. I like love. But love concealed? What good is that? Okay? And, and rebuke is no fun. Don't like rebuke. But at least if it's out in the open and it's necessary and I need it, well then, okay, I can come to appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. So there's the benefit there. The preferable emphasis on it there. Um, And that goes, I think, well with verse 6 as well. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Good tandem there when you add verse 6 to verse 5. To verse 10, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. (laughs) Uh, It's not ideal, but hey, the nearness is uh, better than the distance when uh, Calamity is right there. So the brother, normally the brother is preferable to the neighbor, but in this case, uh, it's a bit of an emergency right now, and uh, my neighbor's right there. So let's uh, let's go with that. And finally, twenty-eight six. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Again, so many of these center on the financial emphasis. All right, so now we've seen them all. We looked at all 19, and what do you think? Is it Can we make absolute assertions in every case? No. I think we need to have discernment related to what's really being said and be able to bring in other passages of Scripture to clearly identify whether it's just simply a matter of preference or if there is a, an absolute picture in, uh, in view. Anyway, so stay tuned, we'll have some more of those. Let's start with social status. First of all, so this, so this is a sub-point B, a modest life, a modest life, unconcerned for social status, is preferable to the bankrupt life that puts on a show. <laughs> okay? A modest life, unconcerned for social status is preferable to the bankrupt life that puts on a show. He who honors himself and lacks bread. He who honors himself and lacks bread. All right? That's what we're dealing with here. And uh, when, when you are honoring yourself, how much work is that? <laughs> when you are honoring yourself, how much does that cost? Well, it depends on how much you want to honor yourself, <laughs> okay? Um, how hard are you working? How much honor are you attempting to create? Do you want your whole subdivision to go, wow, <laughs> man, I wish I was that guy. To have the, the largest, most glamorous, better homes and gardens type palace where everybody in the neighborhood just walks by and they go, ooh. And they, uh, and, you know, they stop and they, whatever, okay? Take pictures. And, <laughs> and then wish they were you. Is that, is that how it works? All right. Um, well, the problem is when you, when you do all that, you end up starving. <laughs> because... You don't have enough to eat, or you're in such debt. Oh my goodness, that you're uh, you know you, you've you've spent it already. You've actually mortgaged your kids and your grandkids because how much debt do you have to maintain this lavish lifestyle? To uh, to to keep impressing people with the latest wardrobe fashions or the latest whatever, and 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 none of it's paid for. So there's, uh, there's things there. On the first half of it, though, lightly esteemed. Okay? Well, at least there's some esteem. It's just light. Okay? Uh, but whatever the case may be, it's modest. All right? Whatever the case may be. And you're okay with that. It doesn't really bother you. And you're living within your means. And you're living modestly. And you're living... And, and you know what? You actually, you, you have a servant. Okay? You have a servant. 
You may not have a hundred servants. You may not have all those slaves. You may not have palaces and whatever, but you do have a servant. You are not... Uh, in, again, we, we struggle because we don't have slavery in the modern world as they had slavery in the ancient world, but the 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 possession of a servant was the boundary between uh, destitute and and uh, you know solvent and insolvent in the Roman world, especially, but even prior to that in the Greek world, it was still the case, and and prior to that in the ancient Near East, to not own a servant was one step away from yourself being a servant. And yeah, you might be a free man for now, but how much longer until you yourself sell yourself into slavery because you're right on the edge, right? You're one paycheck away from whatever. And so the mark of of your solvency in the ancient world, if you owned a slave, that was demonstration in your culture, in your among your peers, your fellow uh, Egyptians or Babylonians or or Philistines or Hebrews or whatever the case may be, that you were um, that you were uh, a free citizen, all right, that you were uh, a respectable member of the community, as far as that goes. Okay, uh, and and when you read through, um, and sometimes it's awkward for us, but it's important. Read through the passages that talk about the wealth of of different people, Abraham and his wealth, Job and his wealth, or or anyone. Okay, and what are you read about? You're reading about their male and female servants. Okay, you're also reading about their animals, and that'll be important when we get into our next verse about having regard for the life of your, for the nephesh, the soul of your animals. Because animals are representative of wealth, and they are the representative of wealth that procreates. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> you get a good return on your investment. Your silver and gold aren't going to multiply during the night. Okay, but your sheep will, your goats will, your rabbits really will. Okay, whatever your your animals are going to increase. So, related to that. And I know gold can, you can get a return on your gold investments as well. But I'm just saying, we'll talk about the life of your animals. Gold doesn't breathe. Sheep and goats breathe. Breathe and breed, okay? And we'll talk about why breath is the living component of a living nephesh, okay? That comes up in the next verse. So, uh, but in the description of wealth includes male and female servants. Why? Because that's part of your portfolio. That's part of your. Um, that's part of your. Um, the 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 diversified investments is a part of your portfolio that shows your net worth, right? And so it's a part of not only your your things that you possess, the things that you own, but also the things that you care for, the things that you provide for, because you got to feed it. All those kids, you got to feed them. Okay, uh, if you have multiple wives, you got to feed them too. If you have male and female servants, you got to feed them too. The more animals you have, that's great, but they eat. You got to feed them too. So when you're when you're marking the great wealth of of Abraham, it's not just that he has three thousand camels; it's that he can feed three thousand camels. Ooh, <laughs> okay. I knew a guy that had a Ferrari. Not only did he have a Ferrari. He could insure the Ferrari. He paid more for the insurance on that Ferrari than I paid for my car payment on my Chevrolet Nova. Okay, 1987 Chevy Nova, the first car I ever bought. And um, I think my payment, I know exactly, my payment was $207. And I usually paid with $1 bills from my tips as a waiter. But um, But he paid more than that every month. I, I want to say it was he was he was paying four to five hundred dollars a month to insure that Ferrari. I don't even want to know what he paid for the Ferrari. Okay. And after four or five months he said, you know what, this is stupid. <laughs> and because he wasn't a wealthy man, he just thought it would be fun to own a Ferrari. Well um 
So when we talk about social status, and we talk about wealth, and we talk about um, living beyond your means, okay, there is a scale. And that scale is communicated in this verse with a better than contrast. And there are high reputations and medium reputations and low reputations. There is a spectrum for how you are esteemed in the community. And there are ways to improve that reputation. Biblical ways or carnal ways. All right? And there, there's a price to be paid for certain things. And you've got to realize what is not worth it. Okay? And it's not all illegitimate, by the way. Part of the... Um, can I share something? With, yeah, let me just one side trip before we get to the rest of this. What, what's the requirement for uh, a pastor in a, in a church? First uh, Timothy chapter 3. It says um, in verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. All right, so... Huh, okay, so that's legitimate. It's not illegitimate. It's legitimate, but to what extent... And in in what way? And how do we obtain this? And, um, you know, can, can, that, can you go overboard in that? Of course. Can you, can you be so absorbed in that that you actually compromise other things? Yeah. That's why the principles that we gain out of a Proverbs become, become critical. All right. So this is why I think, and I phrased it this way, better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant. I think this is a modest life. He does have a servant, so he is he is not poor and he's not filthy rich. Um, and he's not really all that worked up about it. He's unconcerned for the social status. In other words, he's not putting himself into debt in order to increase that glory, to increase the weight of that reputation, unlike the second guy in this verse. He is honoring himself. Honoring himself. It's like when you pay uh, you, you pay to increase the likes on your Facebook wall. Or you pay to increase you, you actually can, can underwrite, you can pay to get more Twitter followers. You can, um, there's, there's ways to manipulate so it appears oh, ooh, look at this, you got millions and millions of Twitter followers. Okay? I was shocked the other day to find out there's people following me on Twitter because I don't tweet. I, I, I mean, years ago when my kids were on a swim team, I signed up for Twitter because they told us that they were going to use Twitter to update parents on um, swim meets, on uh, you know calling for different rounds and swimmers to go to different places and, and, and uh, if, if there was rainouts and other weather things that they had to cancel meets and whatever. They wanted to use Twitter to um, update all the parents on everything related to the swim team. And so, okay, well, we'll try it. And so I signed up and, and I put it on my phone and I started getting tweets from the um, Raton Creek Hurricane swim team. Okay. And, uh, and then it got so irritating and so obnoxious and so ridiculous that I took it off my phone, right? But I still have a, technically, I still have a Twitter account. I never deactivated the Twitter account. And, I never, and so people have found it. In fact, maybe somebody in this room has found it. I, don't, I should have double-checked this before I started illustrating. I have Twitter followers, and I don't know why. <laughs> but apparently, if you find somebody that's on Twitter and you go, ooh, I want to follow them, you can do that. And you don't need the person's permission to do that. Because I've got Twitter followers. Not very many. And I don't want them. But, you know, I'm not kicking them out. But I'm, I never tweet, so who cares? You can follow a guy that never tweets. Somehow. All right. Now, if... If I was really all that worked up about it, 
You know, if I was one of these mega church, you know, televangelist type phony baloney, um, you know, rock star preacher kind of guys, uh, and if I if I had books to sell, and if I had a reputation to maintain, if I had an image to promote, if uh, well, then in those cases, I can see why I would be very concerned about the number of Twitter followers I had. I would I would work to try to boost that. See, because you know, even if some of it's a little phony, it's worth having a little phoniness in order to maintain the the image. Okay, not really. I'm just saying that. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm done illustrating. Let's look at these verses. I think the, the, the pattern is here. Not only in verse 9, but in the very next chapter, in chapter 13 and verse 7, you'll notice, there is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. <laughs> Just a total phony show. And uh, that's, that's happening right now in the, in the series I'm watching with... Uh, Elvis Presley and, the, and Colonel Parker, who became his manager and who stole him away from Sun Records and promoted him with with um, with uh, uh, RCA, and that was the the last episode there. Uh, but this, he was a he was a fraud. He was a huckster, a charlatan. He acted like he was this great big promoter and had all this money, and he was in such debt the uh, the mafia was going to break his legs and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, pretending to be rich but has nothing, and then another pretends to be poor but has great wealth pretends to be poor but has great wealth and uh and you would never know it would you he's a multimillionaire, but he drives the same 1978 chevy pickup truck that he's had since 1978 you know <laughs> and just living very modestly and very uh within his means and you would never know it how about jeremiah 45 5 remember this this was uh that short chapter in Jeremiah and, and uh, uh, Baruch was being rebuked. The rebuke to Baruch. He said, are, but you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I am going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord, but I will give your life to you as booty in all the places where you may go. And that was a real rebuke. I mean, that was that, that hit Baruch right between the eyes. You know, are you seeking great things for yourself? Now it may be, God may give you great things or not. That's his business. And if he does put you in a realm of greatness, look out. There's a lot of pride that can come with that. You can get puffed up and full of yourself. You might think that you, you're responsible for that. You might be like Nebuchadnezzar walking around the roof and saying, you know, great things I have done. Don't be seeking great things for yourself. And if that's why you've attached yourself to Jeremiah, shame on you. Okay? Why did Gehazi attach himself to Elisha? You know, why did, you know, any, why did Elisha attach himself to Elijah? Now it worked out. He didn't pick it. Elijah picked him. And then he, yes, he received a double portion of his spirit. Yes, that's true. And it has seemed that throughout the history of Israel that it seemed like the the, 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 the disciple became as his master and then in some cases was greater than his master. Okay? There was a double portion that Elisha had over Elijah. But that's not normal. All right. Anyway, this, this was the rebuke. Are you, are you seeking greatness? How about Luke 14? Luke 14, as Jesus taught this. 7 through 11. And this is the parable I was mentioning earlier. Comes out of, uh, really, comes out of Proverbs, right? We already saw the proverb. And so um, began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out places of honor at the table. <laughs> and that's what they're doing. They're spotting the spot and they're, they're taking, the, you know. No. If you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. Anyway, uh, verse 11 says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, he who humbles himself will be exalted. So just humble yourself to start with. Just assume. Assume. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm, the, least per- I'm the least important guy I know anyway, so I'm, I shouldn't even be invited here. Why am I here? 
And um, anyway, that's the, uh, that's the attitude we're to have there in verse 11. Finally, 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, this is the prayer life I was talking about. We should uh, want this domestic tranquility. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That's our goal. That's why we pray for political leaders. The modest life, the tranquil life. It is, uh, it is ideal. And it doesn't mean it's problem-free. We could have all kinds of problems, all kinds of conflict, all kinds of testing, all kinds of difficulties. But we have stability through all of it. We have the peace that surpasseth understanding. We have the, the provision through God's Word. We have uh, um, the, the, the anchor, right? The modest life, un, unconcerned for social status. All right animals the soul life of his beast i've got eight minutes so we're not going to get very far with this but um ooh, i'm going to leave you hanging for three weeks we'll come back to this in the month of may all right but really um it is it is not a separate topic from verse nine okay it, it's a continuation just as verse 10, verse 11, we have a chain here. And the, the poetry links these together. We've got um, uh, patterns here from verse 9 to verse 10 to verse 11. You notice uh, you have bread in verse 9 and in verse 11 you have bread. And uh, we have the, the markers in the text that, that uh, view this. It's called an inclusio. Okay, it's a Latin expression, inclusio. Or I like to call it the, the sandwich formation. Okay? Because I don't like fancy Latin terms. But I can understand a sandwich. A top piece of bread, a bottom piece of bread, and meat in between. Okay, that's a sandwich. And so in, in, the, uh, in an inclusio, you'll have an opening and a closing and then something in the middle that, uh, that you really want to eat. And so verse 9 and verse 11 form the inclusio uh, to put all three of these verses in a, into a poetic unit. Um. Anyway, a righteous man has regard for the nefesh, the nefesh of his behemoth, the soul life of his beast. Now, this is not just biological life. This is this is uh, it's an interesting that the Hebrew uses nefesh, the word for soul, uses nefesh with respect to humans and animals alike. Adam was created. Out of the dust, his body was formed. God breathed into that body of dust, breathed into that the breath of lives, the nishmath chayam, uh, chayim, breath of lives. And Adam became a living nefesh, a living soul, the chaya nefesh. And we'll see all these. All these come from Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And so the term nefesh references soul. And, uh, and uh, the animal, the behemoth, plural of behemoth is behemoth or behemoth, okay? And we think of behemoth uh, because of the, the great behemoth that's, that's spoken of there in, in Job 40. Uh, there's a great behemoth that is most likely what the Bible references in, in terms of the dinosaurs. But, uh, but as far as the majestic plural of behemoth is concerned. But behemoth, singular, refers to any beast, any animal. The fact is that this behemoth is not Adam, is not Adam, is not man. Man, mankind, is the image of God, not behemoth. So if we are going to confuse things and substitute and exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator... And substitute the image of, of, a, of a bird or a fish or a four-footed beast, then we are becoming behemoth worshipers and servants. And we are not animal servants. Animals are our servants. 
And this, to me, is, uh, is huge, okay? Because we live in a culture that is so totally confusing everything they possibly can. Satan is deliberately confusing everything he possibly can. Uh, even, you know, male and female, he created them. Satan's busy confusing that, okay? Um, human and animal, Satan is confusing that. And there are animal rights crusaders today that will elevate animals above humans. In, uh, and, and it doesn't matter. They, they, they exalt animals. And, and so no matter the price we pay, we've got to save the salamander. We've got to save the golden cheek warbler. We've got to do this and do that. And, and, and we're spending millions of dollars worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And lifting up the animal over human. Right? Now, that's a, that's a maladjustment of priority. And, 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 not, and not, the Bible does not give us sanction to be cruel to the animals. This verse right here is telling us we have to have regard, we have to have compassion. Okay? We don't want cruelty. The passage speaks of animal cruelty. And we're not deliberately going out and attempting the extermination of the Barton Creek salamander. Our goal is not to exterminate the Barton Creek salamander. But if our goal is to build something and it benefits humanity, then the detriment of the animal should not be a veto, biblically speaking. All right? Biblically speaking. Can we relocate the animal? Can the animal relocate itself? Okay? Uh, a spotted owl can live in a Kmart sign. I think a, a spotted owl is is fine and dandy if we plant new trees to replace the trees that we cut down. And this, this gets to me because I grew up in Washington State, and, and we are a lumberjack state, okay? And we produce, uh, our state produces lumber. And ultimately speaking, it's a great renewable resource. All these lefties want to talk about renewable energy sources. Hello, replant new trees, Okay? It's renewable. They grow. It's just a crop that takes 20 years, 30 years, what have you. It grows. And so for every acre you're going to harvest, and they're planting two acres. Okay? Weyerhaeuser, 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 the, you know, any lumber company, they're not morons. They know what they're doing. They know how to plant new trees to replace. You know, they're thinking ahead, and they're doing that. We have more forested acreage today in the United States of America than when Columbus first landed. That is, that is a documented historical fact. And, and because of humanity. We're not the problem. We have stewardship dominion. And the fact is we are so much better at fighting forest fires now that we are saving, every year we are saving acreage, acreage that in Columbus's day would have just been burned up with lightning strikes. So there is more forested acreage now than when Columbus first landed. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm going. I'm on a roll now. All right. So I'm, I'm just rambling because I got one minute till 11 o'clock. But, the, but the, here's the point. Okay. We have appropriate stewardship. And, and so the crowd that wants to worship the tree or worship the owl or worship the salamander or whatever, they keep finding more and more excuses, more and more reasons to say, well, that's not good enough, that's not good enough, that's not good enough. Okay. And they admit this thing that, ooh, no, no, the, the spotted owl needs old growth forest. A spotted owl can't thrive in new growth forest. The spotted owl needs old growth forest. And so no matter what the lumber company does, it's not ever good enough. They will never be happy. Because that spotted owl needs a forest that's been here a thousand years. Okay? Anyway. Well, we'll talk about animals. Why did God give us animals? And you've got three weeks to think about this now. Don't separate it from the image of God. Because God doesn't separate it. Genesis 1, Genesis 2 puts man and woman in a category because the animal, no helper was found suitable for him. But Eve was provided. Okay? Why do we have animals? What do animals do? They don't help, but they serve. 
So how do they serve? And do they serve? And what happened, and this is, okay, I'll just leave it with this. The, the biggest doctrinal issue with pets is that pets don't serve. We serve pets. Okay? Now a guard dog, you can think of as a service. A service dog is a service. A service animal serves, you're following the biblical pattern. But a pet that gives you no benefit whatsoever. You are the slave of that pet. And you feed it, and you clothe it, and you care for it, and you do all this stuff, and you live for it, and it keeps you from taking vacations until you find somebody to sit for it. And you are the slave when it does not work for you. It's not, it's not hurting your sheep, it's not plowing, not pulling your plow. Okay. Now, if it's hunting rats and and, and hunting cat, uh, hunting the vermin and killing snakes, and if you have a productive use for that animal, you're following a biblical pattern. Yes, sir. Kisses. Companionship. Oh, it provides companionship. I'm, I've been told. Oh, there's marvelous companionship. Don't even get me going. The Bible gives us many capacities for companionship, human companionship in doctrine. When your dog starts fellowshipping over the fullness of times and the eternal plan of the ages, yeah, let me know. I'm still not going to kiss the dumb thing. All right, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy, love, and grace. Open our eyes to the Scriptures. Might we be biblical in all our practices. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.